Blog Talk Radio. Your boy's one hell of a NY host, and I ain't even got a post, cuz. Take the scenery in, matter of fact, take the greenery in, and then you see in the spin. Come once, never leave it again, the beats sound like the D, but. Hey everyone, it is Anthony Onesto, and this is New York HR. Uh, here we are again, another week of calling BS on something uh, New York HR is your contrarian view on HR and recruiting. Um, I am excited, as I always am, because I feel like these are um, folks that I have on the show, show are, are sort of kindred spirits. But today I'm, I'm super excited because this is a topic that I've been talking about a lot. Um, we're, we're talking today with Maya Carmelli. She is CEO and co-founder of Cali. Maya, how are you doing? I'm awesome. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Of course. No, I'm really excited to have you on board here because uh, I know we've been talking about HR metrics for quite a while. Uh, and so I was excited to get this on the docket because I think this is a, an area of human resources, other than performance reviews, which I always beat up on in these shows, uh, an area that I think we can do some really cool, uh, cool stuff. And so um, before we get into uh, calling uh, BS or bullshit on uh, HR metrics, I would love to hear a little bit about your background, Maya. Where did you come from? Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? And how did you get into um, the, the HR metrics business? Sure. So originally from Brooklyn, I'm wearing my Brooklyn T-shirt now to represent because I'm very far away from there. I'm currently in Ithaca, awesome. New York. And um, basically, uh, I lived in Brooklyn, Tel Aviv, New Jersey, and then went into HR while studying at Rutgers University, where I was really interested initially in the psychology, uh, but then realized that HR is just so much more impactful for businesses. So that's kind of how I got into HR. And after school uh, and during internships and after, after undergraduate, I worked in really large companies was in the HR function. And I absolutely disliked it. I was like, you know, this is something that uh, HR as a function could really impact how people feel, how engaged we are at, at work, but we're just sitting so far away from where work actually happens that something needs to change. So that then brought me to Cornell's ILR school, where I was really focused on looking and understanding team effectiveness, organizational behavior, and what are some of the drivers of performance, engagement, belonging that we can bring to HR functions today so companies and people can really be fulfilled both um, in company success and in uh, our own personal uh, success. So that's kind of my initial background. Cool. I, I mean, I love I love the background, of course. A shout out to Brooklyn. Uh, I love it. You kind of skimmed over Tel Aviv, um, but well, maybe that's for another show because uh, <laughs> Brooklyn, Tel Aviv, New Jersey is not a common <laughs> relocation pattern, I, or at least I don't think. Let's look at the metrics, right, and, and see if that's actual. Sure. Um, what, what was it about the big company? Was it just that you were so far away from the actual work, like you said? What was it about HR in a big company that didn't really get you excited? You know, I think a big part of it is how HR is perceived um, from the wi- within the wider population. Um, and when, let's say, HR comes in, it's usually because someone has a problem. 
And that problem has already been, so whether it's a performance issue or um, you know, employee relations, that problem has been festering for quite a while before HR can even come in. And at that point, either one, things are too far gone, or two, uh, HR is brought in to be uh, either the police or the mediator. And this perception that it's really only helping the company, not the employees, that made me feel like, okay, the system itself is broken. So do, that do was- think, and we'll, we're- we're, we're going to get into some of the stuff I know we want to dive into, but let's, I want to double click on that a little bit. So why do you think, I mean, you know, it's a common theme when I talk to folks, why do you think that's the case for HR? Is it incumbent of the people in HR? Is it the way organizations have perceived HR? Is it a combination of both? What, why do you think there's this perception of HR as the police or just sort of after the fact as, a, as opposed to being proactive? I think a lot of it has to do with the history of organizations. And so if we look back, let's say, to the 1920s, and we think about Taylorism and assembly lines, um, HR as a function was really meant to improve productivity. And so uh, it wasn't about the employee and employee happiness. It was about mere productivity and uh, cost-cutting. Then we moved to these siloed departments, Uh, So that's when you think about really big companies uh, where HR and finance and marketing, they're really, really siloed and their motivation is to improve efficiencies. And so when uh, HR is kind of in a silo and they're looking at, you know, we're going to talk about metrics, headcount, turnover, cost per training, whatever, they're sitting in a bubble and totally outside of the realm of day-to-day work. Now, I think as we're moving into this concept that is on everyone's mind, which is the future of work, uh, what is required by organizations and by people is to be adaptable. So really, you know, being able to adapt to the market, to the people that you have um, in order to drive any sort of change. And that's where I think if we're thinking about adaptability as a goal for HR functions, it'll require a changing in how we actually build up the organization. So I don't necessarily think it's the people in HR because they're brilliant um, and have a lot of value. And I don't necessarily think it's just uh, being called in too late. I think it has a lot to do with, one, how organizations are actually built and where the HR function sits. And two, what is almost the marketing that HR is um, driving within the organization? Is it just the person that is helping you do administrative work or is it actually a partner that is driving change and actually cares? Now you, you talk, I, I love those points and I, and I think you're right. And, and as a person who's selling into the HR suite, smart not to offend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> HR people, and it's true. I, I mean, listen, HR people are smart people. They're well-educated folks. And, and, uh, and I think you're absolutely right. I think it's indicative of one historical positioning uh, within the organization and expectations. And I think part, partly I will say it's part of the function too of the organization, but also partly on the individual who has been um, frankly, just very comfortable in the black and white of HR, uh, meaning, you know, 
of the laws and, and the local regulations versus really thinking strategically. But I, I want to step back a little bit because you talked about headcount. So ironically, this morning I sat on a panel over at Namely. So Namely had uh, and Namely is not a sponsor. Maybe they could be someday. Um, but their HR redefined conference. Um, and I talked about headcount not being a metric or not being an HR metric. Um, you have this idea or this, this, this concept called vanity metrics. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by a vanity metric in HR? Sure. So, you know, I think vanity metrics are really just um, metrics that might guide a decision, but don't actually get to solving a problem. So, uh, you know, if you're looking at headcount and let's say, uh, you know, you have some sort of metric or uh, benchmark for how headcount should be and you're meeting your goals, what is it actually saying about your organization and can it actually influence a decision? So, you know, when you're thinking about the word vanity, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of fake. It's kind of out of, it's out of the reality. And so uh, with specifically, you know, headcount, right? What does that tell you about whether you're uh, being strategic in your HR function, whether you're um, actually sourcing and recruiting and training and growing the right people in your organization? Um, and also whether you're creating an environment that allows for adaptability. So I think um, when you're thinking about vanity metrics, just like we have vanity metrics, you know, we're a startup, uh, Cali is a startup, and you can have uh, vanity metrics that doesn't at all align to the growth of your business. It's the same within HR. So when, when you think about, so we, we pick on headcount, and and so if I were to do a, let's say I'm, I'm an AI solution, and I, I combed through every HR presentation that was ever put together in existence. Um, the commonalities I'm going to find on slide one or two is headcount. So why are we reporting like is why are we reporting headcount if it is a vanity metric? So you know, I, and I, I'd like I'd like to actually bring this question to you because uh, one, you have so much experience um, within the function, and two. Uh, you just had a conversation about it. Uh, one, and I think it's two reasons. One, it's easy. It's an easy metric to put up there. And as we know, numbers tell us a story or help tell us a story. So uh, HR, you know, in general, people analytics and HR metrics are difficult because humans are humans. And uh, it's not, nothing is necessarily a constant. So I think something like headcount or turnover rate, they're, they're easy to grab and easy to put on a slide. Um, that's one main point. Another main point is that headcount or um, HR wants to, so we've had conversations with hundreds of HR leaders before launching our startup. And one of the things that we heard all the time is kind of wanting to look good in front of um, your executive team. So wanting to bring data so that, you know, you're kind of sitting at the table and hand count could be one of them. Uh, and so I think it's this, you know, uh, one pressure for actually having a metric and two, you know, HR might not have the capabilities uh, right now to uh, gain a deeper understanding of certain variables. And so pulling out some of these easy metrics like headcount, promotion rates, et cetera, uh, is, is how I think about it. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a, it's a great, um, it's a great point. I, I think ease of use. I think it's, you know, you're an HR generalist in a company, and maybe, you know, in your role where you're working for a large company, and you just see the reporting that's done there. So it's been done forever, right? Unless you're a contrarian, if you're listening to this show, and you're going, why the hell are we reporting this? You just, you just report it, right? So it automatically becomes. So you take that from your existing reports and let's say you move on to a manager of HR role where you're going to bring the same philosophy into that new role and you're going to report headcount. I don't think, you know, unless the CEO directly has asked for this, I think it's just like, oh, we have to report on something. Headcount is something we're going to to report on. And in all fairness to the HR folks, the HR systems, I mean, that's the first dashboard you look at. I mean, that's the first thing that you're, that you're exposed to. So I think it's, you know, unless you have the ability to go, why are we delivering this? Why is it important? And listen, I'm not saying my first slide is not headcount. Um, but what I'm saying is we shouldn't focus on that as, as the only HR metric. So going into that, because in the show, we do want to call bullshit on stuff, but we also want to be um, uh, positive and provide solutions to, to some of these things we're calling BS on. What are the things that you wouldn't consider vanity metrics that you would, you know, are there one or two or three metrics that you would suggest to the audience to start measuring or start looking at? Sure. So, um, you know, I think one of them, uh, which I find really interesting, is this concept of job embeddedness. So when we, you know, one other HR metric that uh, is always looked at is attrition or turnover. That helps us in terms of understanding uh, what is the rate at which people leave, where are they leaving from. Uh, But, you know, from my experience and from what I know, most people don't tell you the reason why. But what is important is not only why, why are people leaving, but why are the people staying in your company? And so that's this concept of job embeddedness, which is all the forces that come together to make someone stay. Uh, so let's say you're in, your entire company is going through a massive transition, a really disruptive change. A lot of people might leave, but there are a few people who are going to stay. You want to really understand what are the characteristics, what are the experience of those people, and then how can you uh, create that and establish that as an experience for a wider group of people in your company. So this concept of job embeddedness is highly related to performance, and that's something that I think is super important. Another one is uh, also focusing on the network analysis piece. So, uh, you know, I think in our, one of our first initial conversations, you talked about how uh, organizational structure is a myth and that the real organization is network. It's not, uh, it's not, it doesn't look like the hierarchy chart that you have on the front page of your, uh, of your employee handbook, right? So, I think thinking about what are the dynamics in the organization and looking at how is communication and how are relationships actually uh, functioning within the company. So anything from who are the influencers in your company so you can tap into them and spread a message. Uh, what are the, are, you know, what are the uh, inclusive metrics that we can have? So, you know, thinking about organizational network analysis and job embeddedness are, I think are really important as you're thinking about driving a more adaptable and performing company. Yeah. And I, I love the idea of job embeddedness. I mean, it's a, it's terribly difficult to say uh, yeah. from a middle-class kid from Brooklyn, but um, 
I, I like that. I was and waiting for that like, line. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Uh, My favorite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you can you can empathize, I guess. Um, w- what what I, I loved your approach because a lot of times we look at the the smoke and find fire. In your case, you're saying, what are we? What's what's going on in the right way in that case? Like, why are these people staying? And how do we replicate that? And oftentimes in HR, we look for that, you know, like, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. But you're suggesting let's see what's working and try to replicate that. That That's really interesting. And I, and I definitely love, and I know we talked to, to Nauseam about the network analysis, and I agree, you know, most folks will put up an org chart, and it's not really at all how the organization is structured, communicates, works. But we're so ingrained, and again, similar to the headcount conversation, into these things that we've always done. Um, so now when you're, you're thinking of these two specific metrics, I know you talk a lot about data collection methods, right? And, and how maybe some of that is broken. Talk to me a little bit about why you think that's broken and then how do I get to job embeddedness? Uh, see, I can't even say it. And, and network analysis, if I, you know, namely can't do that and my, my HR system or my recruiting system can't do these things. So, how, so what's broken and then how do we get to these metrics that you're talking about? Sure, so in terms of data collection methods, it, we're primarily using surveys and whether they're long engagement surveys, 80 questions. Uh, when you take a survey like that as an employee, when I've taken them, uh, it doesn't feel like it's actually for you. You know, it feels like this survey is for someone else. You don't necessarily know what the aim or impact of it is going to be. And so there's very little transparency. And I think this goes back to this siloed HR function where you're serving a population of your customers, which are your people, uh, but it's the, the methodology behind your approach is somewhat opaque. So looking at just, you know, uh, long engagement surveys, I don't know if that's really helping us drive change in an adaptable way. Another, another point is, again, looking at um, anything from, you know, turnover rates or headcount, uh, those don't really help us in making, making, making a decision. So, uh, so that's one. So like surveys, they should really be uh, made for the employee rather than for HR. Because if you're building out capabilities that help you gain data, that data should be, one, democratized. Two, it should be fun and engaging, and you should know why you're taking these surveys, why this data is being collected, and how it's going to help you. Uh, so that, that, that's one part of um, you know, the data collection method. You know, another, I think when we're thinking about building out machine learning models and AI models is using historical data of a company where, you know, one, one example is some of these recruiting uh, and recruiting platforms, AI platforms that analyze your job descriptions uh, and create job descriptions based on previous performance of certain res- or, or screen resumes, let's say, based on performance of someone who was successful within your company, one, you don't necessarily know if uh, that person uh, is what you need. And so going back on histor- historical data and looking at historical resumes might not necessarily inform the future when uh, your company, your needs are rapidly changing. Two, there's a lot of bias. There's a lot of 
uh, bias that goes into screening resumes. And if we're building out machine learning models around uh, topics around, um, yeah, topics that are in inherently potentially very biased, then we're only uh, extending uh, that that bias into our into our AI models. So I think when we're thinking about uh, data collection methods, really focusing on being empathetic for the customer, which is our employees, and being holistic in terms of well, what can't we, what don't we see, and should we really be building out these models um, that could be potentially biased? Uh, so that that's you know that's one part. And can you just repeat the second part of your question? Yeah, of course. And let me let me just uh, tap on to some of the things you talked about. I mean, I loved your your thought about democratizing data, um, and I'd love in in the part when you answer the second second part of the question to talk about how you're doing that at at Cali, where your your where data has has always sat um, in the HR office, and you're actually putting data in front of leaders and managers. Uh, to make decisions and, and influence their leadership. But, um, and there's a great book, by the way, Weapons of Mass Destruction, if you've ever read it, Kathy yeah. O'Neill, um, she's Matt Babe, I think, on on Twitter, um, has warned us about the biases of looking at historical data and like, you know, and being very careful about building these uh, machine learning and AI algorithms based on all this historical information where you were making decisions on, you know, white men from Harvard or something like that. So really interesting. But second part of the question was, was you talked about the, the two metrics that you would start, uh, you would suggest HR people to to look at, which is job embeddedness and network analysis. How do they do that? If they, you know their current HR system doesn't allow for those kind of things, how would how would they get to those things? Yeah, I think for job embeddedness, really honestly, talk to your customers, talk to your users, get to know who they are, what are their characteristics, um, what what is what is what is driving um, their experience? So simply, you know, getting out of the building and going to talk to someone is going to be so much more valuable than a vanity metric on a slide. The second thing is uh, there are there are, so Cali is basically built off this idea that the way we work is so embedded into the tools that we're currently using. So, um, you know, anything, we're a Slack app right now, and uh, hopefully we're building out to more tools, uh, but the way we work is uh, embedded into these tools that we're using, so we can understand uh, how behaviors actually happen um, based on how we're communicating on Slack, how we're collaborating on Asana, um, who is involved and excluded in meetings based on you know, calendar, Google Calendar. And so driving, finding these tools that help you uh, actually pinpoint the behaviors that drive either job embeddedness or um, organizational network analysis uh, should be really helpful. Because it's not just a number on the slide. It's really about culture is just an aggregate of the behaviors and the feelings and the values within your organization. And if HR can possibly capture that, that's gold. I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I, I think, you know, talk, talk a little bit about, a little more about Cali and what you do. Um, and I, I always love saying this to any SaaS tech provider 
Um, explain it as if I'm, you know, your, your Uncle Anthony back in Brooklyn, um, who maybe is not exposed to, to tech in, uh, you know, layman's terms. Explain to the audience, what is Cali? What does it do? Um, I, I'd love to hear more of that. Sure. So, um, you know, and I'll, I'll try. This has been one of the bigger, bigger challenges, um, you know, when we're so deeply into the product, uh, actually taking a step back and explaining it in layman's term is uh, always been, you know, it's, it's something that's really hard. But what's really exciting is that we're uh, actually listening to our customers. So Cali, what Cali is, is uh, we are currently a Slack app that plugs into Slack and we send short pulse surveys on your experience, asking about your experience at work and map it out to organizational network analysis to really understand the dynamics of our teams, to understand what are some of the drivers of performance and engagement. And the main innovation is really that this is not an HR tool. It's a tool for employees and for team leaders. So although it might give us a lot of data and metrics, that are helpful for making strategic HR decisions, what it is is actually driving change from the bottom up. So we send um, everyone on the team insights into how their team responded with the best practice and, and recommendation. So that means not only are you getting the data, but you're also getting an associated action that's directly relevant to your current needs. Um, and that's, that's kind of how we do it. One interesting thing we found with the organizational network analysis uh, that we didn't expect to is the concept of belonging. So if you're looking at, and basically organizational network analysis is metadata from communication within your company. Uh, it's a map that maps out communication um, within your company uh, that gives you an understanding of how networked, the, uh, how connected or siloed the organization is. So one thing we found was that Talk a little oh, bit about, so yeah, now when you talk about metadata, assume that no one knows what you're talking about. Um, what do you mean by metadata and what are the things that you're looking at? Is it, is it oh my goodness, you're looking at my direct messages? Is it in public forums? And, and how do you measure? Is it the weight of communication or how many times? Like what are you looking at in this network analysis? Sure. So we look at um, certain network, network metrics. One of them potentially is uh, influencer. So that really means uh, someone who is highly connected to other people who are also highly connected within your organization. And this is someone you want to tap into, let's say you're, there's a big uh, message you want to share with your entire organization. You want to get the influencers on board so that they can spread the message to uh, the, their peers and thus actually have the right message. Um, the way metadata is, it's not looking at messages um, or, or things like that. We look at patterns. So let's say who is talking to who, uh, the, strength of that connect, the strength of that connection, and how that also relates to um, like within the team. So one example is uh, team density. So teams that are highly communicative within the team are known to be more cohesive, uh, higher performing. So you wanna make sure that everyone is kind of uh, connected and included. And so the way we look at metadata is not necessarily direct messages or pointing out one person or another. It's looking at the dynamics of the entire organization. Does that well, help explain? You in this, 
No, that was that was great. And I, I think when you're looking, so take take a step back and from a manager's perspective, what information are you giving? The manager, are you giving them clear insight to the structure and connections within their organization? Are they they get the, the information like Anthony and Maya are connecting at a, at a high frequency, so they must be connected and included. Where you know maybe Joe over here who's outside of that network isn't necessarily connected, and then providing them with that data allows them to then focus on Joe and say, bring them into the organization in some way, or like how does this help a, a manager? Sure. So, you know, that's, that's one really good example is, uh, you know, we're showing that here there's a, like a click, right? One thing that we can see with the metadata is that there are, are there clicks in your organization um, where, you know, there's three people that are highly connected, but two are kind of on the outside. And let's say these two have been in the company for more than six months to a year. Um, that should give you an indication that, on average, you want to bring them in because they've been there for quite a while and uh, they're, uh, they have a lot of value to bring. Listen, you've hired these people. You spend so much time uh, recruiting them, training them. Now what you need to do is create the connections, create the environments that empower someone to uh, take ownership and you know, drive, drive performance. And we do that, and with network analysis, you're actually able to see, are, you know, are we connected in a way that HR is talking to finance, that's talking to product, and we're, we're, we're highly sure. aligned, or are we super siloed, and, you know, HR never talks to um, anyone in product or marketing, and uh, that's actually when, you know, product and marketing is where a lot of our employee relations issues happen. So that then gives you an understanding of let's let's spend more time really understanding what's going on with product and marketing, um, so we can empower these managers to drive change from the bottom up. And that goes I, to, yeah, democratizing I, I love the data. It. We have about twenty. It's okay. We got twenty seconds left. Where can people find you, Maya? Um, where can they get in touch with you? Sure. So um, you can find Callie at www.callie.ai. My email is maya at cali, C-A-L-L-Y dot A-I. I'm also on Twitter as I'm a cuckoo. So I think it's going to be, you know, kind of an old Twitter name uh, based on a Bell and Sebastian song. Um, uh, but yeah, email and LinkedIn would be best. And, you know, I think just to kind of leave off with a big takeaway is really bring empathy and belonging into uh, the way you look at metrics, the way you're measuring and you're surveying your employees. Because without empathy, uh, it's very hard to actually have meaningful data that drives change. I love it. Maya, thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today on today's episode, Calling Bullshit on HR Metrics. Really powerful stuff. Please, if you haven't, follow Maya, uh, follow what Callie's doing. They're doing some really interesting things from a human capital perspective. Maya, thank you so much. Anthony, thank you so much. Enjoy New York. We miss it. And uh, cheers to BS, BS on HR Metrics. <laughs> Take care, Maya. Bye. Thanks, everyone. We're going to actually call BS on diversity and inclusion. Should be a hot, hot episode next uh, next week. Tune in.